What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Be sure to hit that like button, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops your drops. Appreciate you coming back. I had an awesome trip uh, in Miami, in Hollywood, Florida. Obviously, meeting up with uh, Nate Talks Football, Rob Nerding Out Sports, and obviously hanging out with the whole entire crew while we were down there. But it's always good to be back uh, in my normal recording space. With my normal camera, my normal microphone, all these other different things. But we got playoff football to talk about uh, in terms of this game, in terms of this episode. Would love if you guys shared this out as well. I don't know if I mentioned that beginning, but I'm going to say it again. And uh, this is the first playoff episode we're going to be, or playoff game we'll be talking about, you know, in this podcast's history. So uh, definitely looking forward to it. Hope you guys join me along the way. Uh, just going to run through lots of similar segments. Pretty much are all the same uh, for this episode as we usually do for the preview pods. And guess what? We have Tyler Fornis coming back from the Vikings wire. Uh, I was going to try to get another Vikings fan or another Vikings blogger's perspective, but didn't get any answers. Went, DM Tyler. He said he was good with it. So we'll be having him on again in the second half of the show. Um, but first thoughts heading in this game, a lot of people didn't believe that we would be here right now. A lot of people, including myself at the beginning of the season, didn't believe that we would be a playoff team. And, you know, it looked a little sketchy down the stretch, you know, obviously with that Philly game and a lot of people being pessimistic and optimistic going into that Washington game the second time around and then we win. And then we just needed one more to clinch. And we could have done it against the Vikings the first time. But we shot ourselves in the foot multiple times. And then we did it against the Colts when I was there. And that basically locked us up at the sixth seed. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. In week 17, I was rooting for the Packers. Because I wanted to play the Vikings again. And once that scenario popped into everybody's head. I think everybody started rooting for Green Bay in week 17. And the Niners in week 18. Because... Well, we would have less optimism if we were to go out there and play the Niners this weekend. But you're playing the Vikings, play a team that you played before, and they're not on the Niners level. They're a very good team, and they're beatable. We've seen what they are about before, and it's not like it was two months ago. It's not like it was at the first half of the season and they've done some different things. No, this was, what, three weeks ago. This was around Christmas time. So, you got to be hype if you're the fans, if you're the coaches, if you're the players coming into this game thinking, hey, listen, we know these guys. They know us too, by the way. I'm not going to sit here and uh, be blind to that aspect. But I know a lot of people will draw their comparisons, oh, 2007, this, that, and the other thing. But the Giants, as I said in the post-game pod for the Eagles game, I don't like moral victories, right? Um, I was not very accepting of them coming into the season. You know, we would take what we would get with this rebuilding team. Uh, you know, obviously the Eagles game was a total blowout the first time. The second time was one of the rare times I'll be okay with a moral victory because we played our third string guys or second string guys, guys that are not even getting real reps. I mean, the only starters you could probably make the case for in terms of, you know, who was playing in that game. Uh, you know, Pinnock gets a little bit more reps 
over the course of these last few weeks, you know, he gets more reps than some of the safeties we do have. Uh, Terrell Burgess on the practice squad and then Dane Belton, of course, uh, he's been a healthy scratch over the last few weeks and he's been active, but he really hasn't been playing a lot. So there's Pinnock, there's Ben Bredesen, there's Nick Gates. But other than that, I mean, there's not really many starters that do play. Obviously, Breida and Brightwell got a chunk of the carries at running back. Barkley was inactive. All these different guys were inactive. And to go into Philly and play your third stringers and to expect to be blown out, and then you totally are in the game in the fourth quarter, I mean, it was just insane. Once again, that's a moral victory I rarely take. But listen, uh, it's you got to be hype if you're a Giants fan. You got to be hype if you're a Giants player or coach. Now, obviously, coaches don't see moral victories, and that's fine because they're coaching for their jobs one way or another. But, um, you know, with that being said, to put your third string guys, second string guys, and play competitive against the one seed in the NFC, that has to have some sort of momentum in a positive light shifting into the playoffs and it's not like we have this bye week where some of it fades off and since we'll cross this into the injury report guess what we have no injury report i think it's for the first time since the dinosaurs have walked the earth the giants do not have a single player injured now obviously ir is a different story all these different guys but in terms of xavier mckinney he's playing Leonard Williams, he's playing. Now, it's a stinger injury. It's something that, obviously, he will need to rest uh, in the offseason. But uh, he's playing through it right now like a team champ, and he really doesn't want to miss his first opportunity at playing in the playoffs. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence is going to play. There's, there's really no injury issues with him. Uh, Aziz Ojolari obviously had the ankle injury. He's going to play, so that's going to be big for us. And I'm not even mentioning the main one, Adoree Jackson. First time in a few weeks he'll be playing, uh, about two months almost, about a month and a half. And I guess Brian Dable did a good job of gamesmanship early in the week, said, uh, we'll see, I hope so, and then comes out on Friday with a banger on the injury report. Guess what? There is none. So uh, if you're a Giants fan, once again, that's another reason to get hype. You have all the guys accessible and healthy. And this is a big game. Obviously, maybe there's a switch in game plan, but Justin Jefferson is still there. He is still there for the Vikings. And that helps, meaning Adore Jacks come back, that helps the Giants' defense because you could shift McLeod over to the slot if you want to. You could put Fabian Moreau on, Adam Thielen or K.J. Osborne. You can, you can afford to double Justin Jefferson in some sort of fashion, you know. And, you know, the thing of the difference really between – this game, and I would say, you know, the game against the Vikings a few weeks ago, obviously with the injuries and stuff like that, but it just looks better if you're double covering Justin Jefferson with a guy like Xavier McKinney or Julian Love, but most likely McKinney and Adoree Jackson compared to Fabian Moreau and Jason Pinnock, where they did get toasted on a touchdown. Uh, Pinnock didn't take the right angle. Moreau wasn't really good in coverage, but this just allows the Giants' defense to be more flexible in terms of what they want to do and, you know, basically how they want to play the Vikings. But uh, before we get to game plans, all this sort of stuff, I'm going to go into the Vikings' injury report. They do have an injury report. Cameron Dantzler is questionable with an ankle injury and also was out during the week with a personal matter. He is questionable. I don't expect him to play. He hasn't played in a few weeks, uh, to my knowledge, and he didn't even play against the Giants the first time, so I doubt we see him this weekend. Brian Osamoa, who forced the fumble, 
against Daniel Bellinger. He is expected to play. Uh, no injury status for him. Garrett Bradbury, we'll be seeing him for the first time. Back injury, he was uh, full go in practice Thursday and Friday. James Lynch, defensive tackle, full practice. Uh, the only two questionable ones besides Cameron Dantzler or Harrison Smith with the knee injury, I would expect him to play. I mean, he's limited, and this is another playoff opportunity for the veteran. And uh, Kenne Nwangu, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. He is a running back. He is also the kick returner. Uh, he is questionable, did not practice on Friday with an illness, but I would expect him to play. So... Let's get into the statistics from the season. And obviously, it's it, it's a different type of season now. It's the playoffs. It's, you know, stuff in the regular season does matter, but it doesn't at the same time because the Giants could switch their game plan totally. Their Vikings could be, you know, some rushing team automatically, and, and they were a passing team. So the playoffs is just a different story, and we've seen this over the course of the last few weeks, years. Like, the biggest example to me about how the playoffs – differs from the regular season is actually going to have two scenarios here that actually happened uh the Chiefs were horrible on defense in 2019 week 11 to the Super Bowl they were one of the top units in the NFL Steve Spaggs was the defensive coordinator and they went on to beat the Niners in the Super Bowl so that's one number two I think it was 2020 it was Drew Brees' final year in the NFL they sweep Tampa Bay in Tampa, at home against Tampa, but in the playoffs, they don't get it done. Brady beats Breeze. So it's just a sign that the regular season matters up to a point. But obviously, you know, the regular season is where you have to qualify for the playoffs by beating a lot of teams. But when you're going into the postseason, when you're actually there, about a portion of it only matters. Uh, but back to the stats, the Giants in the regular season, 18th in total yards per game on offense, 26th in passing offense, 4th in rushing offense, 16th in points per game. Defensively, 25th in total yards per game, 14th against the pass, 27th against the run, and 18th in points per game. You look at the analytics side of it, 25th in pass percentage, 8th in run percentage, 29th in pass percentage on first down, as well as 4th in run percentage on first down, 1st in blitz percentage on defense, 7th in pressure percentage, and 13th in sacks. It was quite interesting as well, really, this season, because you look at the room, not a lot of edge talent outside of Tibbs, outside of Aziz, and those guys were hurt. Like, it's been very rare to see those two guys play uh, on the field at the same time, right? Uh, the Vikings game for a little bit, the Commanders game the first time and the second time, and obviously Leo has been factoring in and out, Dex has always been there. And then you look at like the first few seasons of the proclaimed rebuild the last few years, like 2020 and let's see, 2018, right? We were like bottom of the league in sacks, mid in sacks in like 2020. And now we're 13th because different guys get to the passer. I mean, Jason Pinnock has a couple of sacks. Uh, Nick McLeod has a couple of sacks. Zion Gilbert has a sack. Ryder Anderson. So uh, once again, I just really like what Wink is doing with this defense, uh, we're going to talk about maybe just a smidge. I don't think it's too much to talk about because obviously we're focusing on playoffs. But maybe during the last part before we talk score prediction, all that, I do want to just briefly touch on the fact that uh, two guys have been 
interviewed, or I should say requested to be interviewed for head coaching jobs. So Minnesota Vikings, they were 7th in total yards per game, 5th in passing offense, 20th in rushing offense, and points per game, they're 8th. Their defense, 31st in the categories of total yards per game against the pass, against the run, they're 20th, and points per game, 30th. Third in pass percentage, 30th in run percentage, sixth in pass percentage on first down, and 31st in run percentage on first down. They're 24th in blitz percentage, or were 24th in blitz percentage, 24th in pressure percentage, and 22nd in sacks. Though, obviously, they did get to the Giants a couple of times uh, in the first matchup. Daniil Hunter, uh, DJ Wanham, there's another guy that got in there. I think I'm missing one. Zadarius Smith, he's going to be a factor, so there's that. Um, going to take a quick sip and we'll go to things to look for. Opposite of the game plan in week 16, this can really go for both sides. The Giants, as much as they, over the last few weeks, have been passing the ball a little bit more in first down, which I've been advocating for. This might be a game where they really don't want to shoot out this might be a game where okay we need to be a ground and pound type team or just like control the clock and it's playoffs so it's crunch time it's not like you have you know another few regular season games to get to the dance it's elimination time so the Giants might be a little bit more conservative in some areas and they might be aggressive in some areas obviously you know fourth down you may or may not take as many chances as you would Uh, depending if you're losing, you're up, or you're tied. Uh, But Saquon Barkley, I mean, he's been rested for one and a half weeks because he obviously was out in the second half against the Colts because it was a blowout. And, you know, against the Eagles, he did not play. He was inactive. So you're looking at fresh legs for Saquon Barkley. Uh, Obviously, the Vikings, I mean, I didn't really look – much into their game against the Bears. They did get blown out by the Packers, which we'll ask Tyler Fornis about because that could factor in terms of the weaknesses that Green Bay attacked in that Week 17 game. But I would just look for possibly opposite of the game plan in Week 16. And, you know, not just, oh, it's crunch time and this, that, and the other thing. I'm not going to say that the Vikings would be scared to attack Adore Jackson in any way. But, to be fair, they were efficient with Dalvin Cook on the ground. And the Giants are still in limbo at linebacker. Uh, Gerard Davis, some say he looks solid in Week 18. Kind of mixed on him. I think a lot of people are kind of uh, looking at him the way they look at Jalen Smith when he came in last year. Always a solid piece, but when he gets extended reps, he's not so great. And obviously, once again, you could probably split it up. Uh, some reps, Jalen Smith, some reps, Landon Collins and Tony Jefferson, some reps, Gerard Davis. Uh, but Gerard Davis, I'm a little stingy, but guess what? I guess he's better than what we have right now in limited reps. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And he's playing his former rival. He was with the Lions for a few years. I think he was drafted in the first round out of Florida. And then he came back to the Lions. And then, you know, he signed with the Giants uh, just a few days ago. So, opposite of the game plan in Week 16, something to look for. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. And relying on the front four rather than blitz. The Giants got burned a couple of times blitzing-wise against the Vikings. They did get there a couple of times. Landon Collins, Jalen Smith, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Aziz Ojolari. So, they got some good quarterback hits. 
and really forced some nice pressure on Kirk Cousins. And they actually moved up to first, I believe, in the NFL in pressure percentage after that week. So, you know, just throwing a stat out there, obviously they're not at first in pressure percentage anymore or to end the season. But my point is you may see backing off a little bit, but you also may see more blitzing. Who knows? Because it could go into two things. You may want to just rely on your front four, and Wink is Wink. Obviously, he's not Spags. You know, everybody's in their own category in terms of defensive coordinators. But, you know, you have a solid front four. You may want to rely on that. Kayvon Thibodeau or Aziz Ojolari versus Oli Udo. I mean, he was drafted in 2019 as a swing tackle. Really hasn't gotten too much time there. They're getting their center back, but I think Dexter Lawrence actually had a fun time against him. The first time uh, him and uh, Bradbury matched up, which was 2019, but I would have to go back and look at the film. And, you know, Bradbury's coming off of injury, so this is his first week back. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, it could either be, you know, you have a Dory Jackson back, so you send more blitzes, or you be more careful just in case they throw more screens at you. They did that the last time. The Giants got burnt. You rely on your front four. So two things that could happen. Um, I wouldn't be mad with either, but we have to play the results. So players to watch, I'm not going to go specifically into this player, that player, or whatever. Um, I might go into two different players. That's it. Bradbury, uh, as we talked about, not James Bradbury, but Garrett Bradbury, allowed two sacks this past season, 809 snaps and four penalties. Um, and then Chandon Sullivan, just looking at him once again, I think he gave up like six, seven receptions last time. Richie James had a big game on him. Even though Richie James did drop one or two passes, uh, Richie James was actually, you know, he was very important for the Giants in that first matchup against the Vikings. And he will be matching up against Chandon Sullivan again unless they do some maneuvering in the slot. But I don't think they'll do that. Uh, Sullivan this season has given up a completion percentage of 71 near 638 yards. Only one touchdown, which... Uh, you know, it complements him, but at the same time, he's a slot corner. A lot of slot corners really don't give up touchdowns, but passer rating allowed of 102.7, so that's not very good. Um, and then uh, we talked about Bradbury, so we're going to talk about, like, the key contributors from the last game. Dalvin Cook, as I said, he was efficient. Last game against the Giants, 14 carries, 64 yards. Alexander Madison, maybe they run it more with him if they do a ground and pound type thing. Four carries, 17 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. Kirk Cousins, I don't think he had the worst game, but he didn't have the best game against the Giants. I feel like the stats kind of overrate his performance. Um, you know, Vikings fans may attack me for that. I personally don't care. I mean, 6.2 yards per throw, that's around average. Three touchdowns, which you have to give him credit. One to Hawkinson, Jefferson. And then I'm going to think I'm missing one again, but, uh, you know, who knows? Close to 300 yards, so there's that. Justin Jefferson, I mean, he's going to be the main X factor if you're looking at just players to look at for the Vikings. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll go into X factors later for the Giants and the Vikings when we go into the interview with Tyler Fornis. But Justin Jefferson is there. Adam Thielen really wasn't a contributor. K.J. Osborne had three catches. The other guy is uh, T.J. Hawkinson. I mean, the Giants have Xavier McKinney back. Maybe he goes into coverage against Hawkinson. I mean, uh, Micah McFadden was kind of lost in coverage the last time, and that's where Hawkinson got his touchdown. Actually, Hawkinson, now that I remember, two touchdowns against the Giants the last time. 
uh, one at the back of the end zone, they, that acrobatic grab to the left side near the pylon. So there's that. I mean, he was dangerous. He was dangerous. Both guys got over 100 uh, receiving yards. So the Giants have to find a way to cover him. If you put Cordell Flott on him or you put McLeod, you take a corner, whoever they feel. Um, I just don't think it should be one of our inside linebackers. Uh, not Gerard Davis, not Mike McFadden. I wouldn't be confident putting Landon Collins on him 100% of the time, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And obviously, you had Osamoa who forced the fumble. Uh, and then defensively for them, Daniil Hunter had four quarterback hits and two sacks. Evan Neal, though the injury report is non-existent, uh, they did mention that he suffered a minor ankle injury later in the week. So that's something to keep an eye out for. A. B. He hasn't played well over the last few weeks. And, you know, that's saying that unbiasedly. So maybe they put in Tyree Phillips to help him. Maybe he gets some extra help to that side. Because Andrew Thomas can handle his own against some of the rushers that they're throwing. And on his side, uh, they have a rookie linebacker. I forget his name. Patrick Jones, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, and then the right side, just throwing Bellinger. Help. Evan Neal out a little bit. That's all I'm asking the Giants to do. And DJ Wanham and Kyrus Tonga shared a sack. Um, and that was pretty much it, yeah. So, uh, Daniel Hunter, Zadarius Smith really didn't do a ton, except for the three quarterback hits, which you could attribute to that. Uh, and then Dalvin Tomlinson had a quarterback hit. Chandon Sullivan had a quarterback hit. And Patrick Peterson also came in on a blitz. Didn't get credit for the sack, but he caused the havoc that made the sack possible. All right, so questions, answer, keys to win. Um, and then we'll go into a little bit of that coaching stuff and then a prediction at the end, and we'll move towards the discussion. So questions, answer, do the Giants go grounded pound or shootout mode? So personally, me. Do I have a game plan in terms of, like, if I was in the coaching position, what would I do? No, I don't, because I think either could work out and I'm more of a pass on first down guy, but they could recognize that and they could do a lot of different things, disguise coverage. So G DJ throws a pick again. Um, but I think to be fair now, obviously this may not even happen, but I think whoever gets the ball first is going to set the tone. The giants are more of a run team. I could see either Minnesota doing run or pass, you know, let's just say the giants, run the ball, but they're not necessarily efficient, let's just say on the first drive. They could either run the ball with Dalvin Cook, knowing our run defense is cooked, or they could pass the ball and say, let's try to blow these guys out of the water and then ride in the second half, you know, with a good lead and then drain them with the running game. So, you know, there's that. And the Giants, you know, once again, they could set the tone. Minnesota may set the tone as well. Um, I think if they go out and pass on the first drive, kind of like they did the last time, I think the Giants will stick to that approach, really the one they've stuck to the last few weeks. And then, you know, if they run, I think the Giants will run. So it's going to be a chain reaction type of thing. Do the Giants double Justin Jefferson? If so, with who? I think it's going to be a Dorian McKinney or a Dorian Love. Uh, I don't think Pinnock is going to get as many reps as we've seen. Obviously, it's great to have the healthy defense back 
But I think it's going to be a Dory, and I think it's going to be McKinney, uh, which will be a good thing because if Justin Jefferson beats a Dory, Dory could catch up, or McKinney could go over to the sideline and get a pick because I know we really haven't seen that too much for McKinney. I know he's been injured, but uh, I don't think he has an interception on the year, and the Giants have the least amount of interceptions or at least had the least amount of interceptions in 2022 in terms of the regular season. Can the Giants protect Jones? That's going to be uh, prudent. That's going to be very important. Obviously, the interior, we'll see what type of game we get out of them. Brian Dable was really noncommittal about rotating left guard again. I personally think it should be Bredesen next to Feliciano. Not that I think Feliciano is God tier, but, uh, you know, just the chemistry is more there between Bredesen and Feliciano rather than Gates and Feliciano. Once again, not shoving Gates off the page, but also maybe you could use Gates as an extra tackle to help out Evan Neal on the other side. I think that's going to be important. I'm more worried about Evan Neal than I am about the interior, my personal opinion. Does Neal's injury bother him at all? I think it bothers him a little bit. And once again, last few weeks, he really hasn't been great. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it doesn't affect him. Hopefully they improved on some stuff this week. How many sacks do the New York Giants get? I'm going to say, as an estimation right now, probably three. Um, I definitely see one of our edge rushers getting there. Maybe Dex gets a sack. Obviously, these guys are pumped to be playing in the playoffs. I say about three sacks, maybe more, maybe less. We'll see what happens. Are there many blitzes or just straight-up four-man rush? I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions on defense uh, besides double covering you know, uh, Justin Jefferson or covering TJ Hawkinson. Is the game plan going to be more blitzes or is it just going to be straight-up four-man rush corners? You have to cover your guys. It could be zone, but... The positives and negatives of that are Kirk Cousins really doesn't do great against zone. I mean, the Giants really ran zone last time, and obviously it wasn't a great result for the Giants. But if you run man, the Giants are probably to be are probably likely to have more success, but Kirk Cousins is, quote-unquote, better against man coverage. So there's that. Keys to win. Number one, stop the run for me. Uh, if they come out running on the first drive, and I feel like the game plan, once again, for some reason, is just going to flip-flop. Um, maybe flip-flop's not the right word, but I think it's just going to turn over. It's going to flip to the other side. I think it's going to be a ground-and-pound type game because of the playoffs. Now, obviously, you would want to use Justin Jefferson in your weapons, and if they do that, the Giants will do the same thing. And in that case, number two, pressure Kirk Cousins. Garrett Bradbury's back from injury, and they have a right tackle who's basically their swing tackle. Tibbs, Aziz, Dex, Leo, guys, get there. Get there so we don't have to send too many blitzes and we can cover on the back end. They help each other, the secondary and the edge rush, the front seven. You know, if you pressure him, you save the secondary some time, and then if you cover in the secondary, it gives the edge a ton of time to get there and the interior of course number three make most of the offensive opportunities that's what they're gonna have to do whether it's pass run it seems pretty basic but the giants in ways did not do that the last time though they put up heck of amount of points uh the margin of error 
in my opinion, was big for that game. You know, it was, a lot of people say, oh, it's it's small with this Giants offense. Sometimes it's self-imposed that you make it small. That was pretty much the first half of the year. You know, you were still in the game despite a Bellinger fumble, a Jones pick. You were still in the game, but not turning it over and making the most of those op- offensive opportunities, it really makes the margin of error bigger. And obviously, you give yourself a lead. You can afford to make mistakes, not that you want to. And then honorable mention, turnovers. The Giants almost had three interceptions last time, could have had three interceptions, and it didn't happen. Nick McLeod dropped one along the sideline on the first drive while covering Adam Thielen. Number two was when Fabian Moreau had the pick before halftime but was called back due to holding. And number three was Cordell Flott when the ball hit the ground. Kirk Cousins is going to make some stupid throws this game if you put him under pressure. Get the ball and put the Giants' offense on the field once again. I'm looking for at least one turnover, whether it's a fumble, this, that, and the other thing. Put the ball in your offense's hands as much as possible. But real quickly, I just want to talk about this thing with the head coaching opportunities and stuff like that. I really don't touch on that. Uh, I don't really want to touch on that, but I just you know throw my thoughts out there for two seconds. My whole thing is obviously Wink Martindale. Seems like the Cardinals are interested there, and I think the Broncos and the Panthers are interested in Mike Kafka. I'm not going to split hairs and say, oh, I want this guy back and this guy could leave. I'm not going to say who I'd rather have back because both are very important for this Giants team. Wink, because he's a leader on defense. He's been around the game a while. Personally, I don't think he's going to take a job. Now, obviously, things have happened. Vic Fangio took a job with the Broncos, and he is an older guy was there for three years, got fired. Um, So there's that, and, you know, that was unexpected to some, but the Bears also had a really good year on defense. On the other hand, you got Mike Kafka, right? The offense wasn't really that good this year, about average at best, but the development of Daniel Jones and all these different things on offense and also the rushing game, that was pretty good as well. Saquon Barkley back to 1,300 yards, you know, rushed for a career high. Broncos, different teams like the Panthers, they'll look at that and say, hey, you did that. We want to call you in for an uh, interview for the head coaching job. Personally, once again, just to flatline this and to really cut the strings on this argument, I don't think either of those guys are going anywhere. Obviously, we looked at 2020, you know, after that season, Patrick Graham came back, whatever. But with a playoff run and just the development of these guys, those two coaches, those two guys right there, they know that there is something being built here. And it's only going to get better. There are going to be growing pains, but it's only going to get better. And the job isn't finished here. As uh, Brian Dable said to the guys before the Jaguars game. But real quickly, call me a homer if you want. I have the Giants winning this game 24-20. They go back despite some loud noise and some great offense by the Vikings. I think the Giants are going to win 24-20 and advance to the next round. Scenario-wise, if the 49ers win and we win, we play the Eagles. And then, if the Seahawks win and we win, we would play the winner of Dallas and Tampa Bay. So, if the Giants win on Sunday, great, obviously. And I, I may or may not be pissed off 
Well, I mean, you should be pissed off if your team loses, but at the end of the day, you kind of accept, okay, this is a rebuilding squad, whatever. Kind of puts you down uh, to earth. But, I mean, root for who you guys want to win in some scenarios. Like, before I figured out the real scenarios, I was like, okay, let's go Seahawks. But um, you can still root for the Seahawks because Dallas and uh, Tampa Bay look a little bit easier right now. And obviously nothing is an easy win, but they look a little easier right now than a team like, let's say, the Eagles, right? So, uh, like, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff. It doesn't end here. We're going to go to the interview with Tyler Fornis from Vikings Wire. All right, so Tyler Fornis is back with us because we are playing the Vikings again, this time in the wild card round. Uh, we just saw him a few weeks ago around Christmas time. The Giants lost a close one, closer than we all thought at least in my eyes, but uh, I'll get started. I'll, I'll have you get started, Tyler. What are your thoughts coming into this game? One thing that really intrigues me about this game is how injuries are going to play a factor in a different way. Both teams are coming into this game much healthier than, than they were the last one, but the biggest missing piece is going to be Vikings right tackle Brian O'Neill. And we saw how the Vikings compensated for missing Christian Derrissaw against the New England Patriots. They used a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of chips, a lot of double teams to help um, Blake Brandle, who's likely going to start on that right side on Sunday. So I'm intrigued how that's going to work. But the Giants, uh, Dory Jackson is likely going to play. Um, you have a healthy Leonard Williams. It's it's going to be a healthier Giants team, and it, I think it's going to make for a more intriguing matchup. Yeah, definitely. It's like since the dinosaurs walked the earth that the Giants have had a, a clear injury report. But you did mention Brian O'Neill being out you guys are getting Garrett Bradbury back just some questions mixed in with those different topics how did the old how has the O-line played since you guys lost O'Neal obviously you mentioned that Blake Brendel is the right tackle and uh obviously yeah how did you how did your O-line play when you lost O'Neal and what do you expect from Bradbury this game so let's start with Bradbury and ever since he left it's been a disaster in the middle. And if you follow Vikings football at all, Garrett Bradbury has struggled, especially with bull rushes in the interior. So you think guys like Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence just eat his lunch. He has figured out how to play them much better this year. There's a clip of him against the Philadelphia Eagles where he just stood up Jordan Davis and Davis couldn't move in the middle of that defensive line. He's kind of figured that out and he's really been the catalyst because Ezra Cleveland is a very solid guard. And Ed Ingram has a lot of potential right guard, but he's a rookie and he allowed the most pressures per PFF this season. Like you're talking about a guy who is really, he, he's the, I'm trying to think of the right word, but he's, he's kind of like the balancing point. Like if, if he's doing well, usually the rest of the line is doing well. So the fact that they didn't have him and it was Austin Schulman, who unfortunately broke his ankle against the green Bay Packers in week 17, um, the having Bradbury back will be a big deal. Not having O'Neal is going to change how the Vikings offensive line plays because what they were able to do with Darisaw and O'Neal is, Hey, you guys, we're just going to put you on an Island. You just go one-on-one -on -one and you're just going to have to beat your guy. That works when you have O'Neal and Darisaw. It's not going to work when you have a backup like either Brandel or Udo, um, both of whom are capable players, but they're not guys you want as a full-time starter. So they are your quasi swing tackles. And it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust because when Brandon started on Thanksgiving night against Patriots, he only allowed one pressure. And that one pressure was a Josh, 
Josh Uche sack. And Uche had a really, really good end of the year. I think he ended up with like 14 sacks on the season. So you're talking about a very good football player, but they were chipping, they were double teaming, they were sliding protections over to help Randall. And I would expect the same thing to happen here against the Giants. Yeah, definitely. And going to be flip-flopping between game plan and obviously some personnel stuff. Last game was a passing attack shootout. Personally, me, I'm expecting more of a grounded pound for some reason. Do you think the game tone will deviate itself from the last time, or do you think it will be shootout-esque like last time again? I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a heavier run game. And one of the reasons is because of how the Giants attacked the Vikings. A lot of it was quick game. And what I mean by quick game is it's uh, quick timing passes underneath to take advantage of what the Vikings are giving them on defense. And they did a really good job of it. Daniel Jones threw for 334 yards, and uh, he only threw the one interception. Like You can keep doing that against this defense because the Vikings are going to play more off coverage. They're going to allow those five-yard routes underneath because then you can't beat them deep. What really is frustrating from a Vikings perspective is Jones's strength is not driving the ball down the field. His strength is the uh, short and intermediate game being very accurate and hitting those timing rounds. So you're really playing into the strength of what Daniel Jones gives you. I, what I would personally be doing is playing those corners and press, getting that timing disrupted, making it harder for Jones to find those guys in the short and intermediate routes and take those chances deep because that is not his forte. And I would expect the Giants game plan to be a lot more of the same that we saw on Christmas Eve, short timing routes, get Richie James involved early, get Isaiah Hodgins on those slants and digs. And I think the Giants have a recipe for success. Now it gets a lot harder in the red zone. The Vikings for all their defensive struggles are 12th in red zone um, trips allowed and 20th in red zone percentage. So they're, they're relatively good when it comes to the red area. Um, Saquon Barkley only had 14 carries in the first meeting. I would expect that to improve a little bit, but I don't really see much of a game plan shift from the Giants. And as far as the Vikings go, they want to establish the run, but they're just this close. They're this close because of what the offensive line is just able to accomplish. They're like half a second away on some blocks from springing a big run. And you've seen a couple big runs, the 53-yarder against the Dolphins, the 81-yarder against uh, the Buffalo Bills that really spurned that comeback. They want to run the ball, but they're just missing a little bit. And I think a lot of that has to do with the scheme change and the cohesiveness of how the offensive line is performing. But if if it's going to happen at any point, it's going to happen in the playoffs. Um, I I would expect a lot of the same from both teams. That's kind of a roundabout way of saying it, but – They both want to run the football, but they're both better at throwing it. Yeah, especially coming off of last game. And the Giants have likely looked at the tape in terms of attacking the weaknesses once again of this Vikings team. Game plans, weaknesses, those change every week. What did Green Bay do in week 17 to stall the Vikings from getting a victory and blowing them out? I think it was, what, by 24 points or something like that. Easy. They told Jair Alexander, hey, follow Justin Jefferson, and we're going to put a safety over the top. Just make his life a living hell. Press him. Hit him every single play. And you know what? If you get beat deep, it doesn't matter. You got safety help. Not every team's going to be able to commit to that or want to commit to that. 
the Packers did, and it got Jefferson so frustrated. And then literally every ounce of luck went the Packers way and it snowballed. And I, th- I you could kind of see it as the game went on, like the, the tipped interceptions, um, one of them going for a touchdown and O'Neal tearing his Achilles on that interception. And that happened to be on fourth down too. the kickoff return for a touchdown, not getting into the end zone. When you block a punt and it's down at the two, like, there's so many little things like everybody talks about all, oh, oh, the Vikings are fraudulent because everything lucky has gone their way. Well, in their losses, literally everything has gone against them. So it's, it's almost been a balancing act, but the Vikings have still figured out a way to persevere more often than not with a 13 and four record. So like the label fraudulent, I think is completely unfair and lacks any context, but they're not a great 13 win team. They just aren't. They they have found ways to win in really creative and unique ways. And this Vikings team is going to, as long as all the luck doesn't go against them are going to be just fine because they're going to be able to kind of create their own, like the Packers game, the giants game. Those are, those are real anomalies. If you want to see what the Vikings look like when they get punched in the mouth and how they continue to try and win in a loss, you got to look at the lions game, 34, 23 loss. The Lions played a tremendous game. They kept punching the Vikings in the mouth. And what the Vikings were able to do was they kept punching back, but they they were just short. And I think if things continue to go rough for the Vikings, in a loss, it's going to look a little more like that. Because I I don't know if I've told you this, but when the Vikings were hiring their head coach, I was begging and pleading for Brian Dayball. I love what Dayball is as as a coach as a leader and he's showing that with this Giants team and I think he should win coach of the year. But all of this to say I'm not necessarily worried about the anomalies of games like the against the Green Bay Packers. I'm focused more on hey, they got punched in the mouth. Why why did this happen? How did they respond without kind of those extreme outliers, which is what I think that was. Now you can kind of take the Colts game as an extreme outlier too. But what the Colts game showed is they have this belief in themselves and they are able to capitalize on, Hey, we can do this. Patrick Peterson said in, in the locker room, Hey, offense, we'll get stops. All we need is five touchdowns. No big deal. That was their John candy moment. And I think what you can't quantify on paper and with a formula, which I, I love analytics, but some things when you talk about the chemistry in a locker room, and you talk about a belief in oneself, you can't quantify that. And I think that's one thing that the Vikings really have, is they have a belief in themselves and a belief that they're going to go out and win no matter the situation. 17-point comeback against the Bills and a 33-point comeback against the Colts really epitomizes that. And obviously you have the the Packers game, but there were so many things that went wrong in that game. It's really hard to necessarily blame any one thing. It, it happened, it sucks, but... Overall, this this Vikings team, I think, is going to come in ready to play, and whatever gets thrown at them, they'll be able to handle. Moving on, you talked a little bit about what the Packers did to stonewall Justin Jefferson from a big day. Obviously, the Giants don't have that corner talent. They don't have a Jair Alexander. They have a Dory Jackson, but that's not the same. Do you believe press coverage for the Giants, speaking from a Vikings perspective rather than zone could be in the Giants favor despite Kirk Cousins success versus man you better frustrate the hell out of Justin Jefferson and be willing to double him all game 
long. And the Giants showed shades of that um, late uh, late in the game, that uh, fourth quarter touchdown by Jefferson. There was the in- inside-out bracket coverage. Jefferson, with his nuance and crafty route running ability, beat it, and Kirk Cousins had a perfect throw. Sometimes you just can't stop greatness, but sometimes you can. And the Packers showed that. If you go back to week three against the New- uh, Detroit Lions, uh, they sold out to stop Justin Jefferson. They put all their resources into stopping him and say, hey, if we're going to lose this game, it's going to be everybody else and not Jefferson. Well, the the rest of the team stepped up, and I think that's going to be a really important factor. If Wink Martindale decides, hey, I'm stopping Jefferson no matter what. TJ Hawkinson obviously had a great game, 13 for 109 yards, I think, and two touchdowns against the Giants. And then KJ Osborne has really come on the last few weeks. Uh, He is third in the NFL, I think, with 30 catches and 378 yards over the last four games. If you want to stop this Vikings team, stopping Jefferson's the easiest way to do it. But it's not that simple because if you just decide to put two guys on, all all the other receivers need to do is win one-on-one matchups. And that is that can be a recipe for disaster, especially considering how Wink Martindale loves to blitz. He's one of the heaviest blitzers in the league. So there, it's going to be a chess match because Wink's going to have some new things. But the Vikings are rumored to be wanting to do 13 personnel which is going to be three tight ends, one running back, one receiver. And they have the tight ends to do it and still be able to attack down the field. So it it could create some interesting matchups with tight ends against linebackers. And then the Giants linebacker room, it leaves a little bit to be desired, especially with Mike and McFadden. I've had plenty of Giants fans tell me how much they dislike him uh, playing on that second level. So I, it, it's going to be fun, but stopping Jefferson's the catalyst. And how they do that is going to be – is going to really reflect on how much they believe in the rest of the team. Yeah. I mean, you were speaking about the tight ends for just a quick second. I mean, TJ Hawkinson dominated against us last game, two touchdowns had the acrobatic catch uh, over a hundred yards. So I think it's going to take either a safety like Xavier McKinney or a corner to be on him and try to stonewall him. Giants won't do that because their history against tight ends. I find that interesting that some Giants fans are saying that about a McFadden because I think the bigger issue is Jalen Smith, how he fails to disengage blocks while McFadden, you could argue he's a rookie and, you know, he's not really necessarily a run stopping linebacker. He's kind of a more of a coverage type of guy, but mm-hmm. um, going, coming from last game a little bit also as well, what should the Vikings utilize more that they didn't do against the giants the first time? Screen passes. They have figured out a way to make the screens work. And one of the things with the Wink Martindale defense, it's incredibly aggressive. You've got two great pass rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari. What are their games? They want to get up the field. Coax them up the field. Let them come up the field. Hit a screen right behind them. And what that can do is it causes defenders to stop reacting and start thinking. And once you get a defender to think, it's game over. Now, if you hit a couple really successful screens early in the game, that can shift a lot of different things with how Martindale wants to run his defense. And because of that, you can then take advantage in other areas. So I think establishing screens is going to be incredibly important for the Vikings. They love the tight end screen of TJ Hawkinson. And because they're going to be doing a lot of double teaming with Blake Brandle or, or Ole Udo at right tackle, I think you can really make the tight end screen work because it's going to be a lot easier to sell when he's consistently doing so. So establishing the screens and taking advantage of the aggressiveness of the Giants defense, I think is going to be a really, really big factor for this Vikings offense. And then what do the Vikes 
need to do better that they weren't good at the first time. And I, I know the automatic answer is probably in the passing game, but if that's the answer, then uh, you're free to elaborate on it. Absolutely. Well, because of that, I'll give you two. The first one, press these receivers. Look, the Giants obviously did not necessarily want to go in the season with this Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James as their top two options at this point in the year, but that's kind of the hand they were dealt, and they've done a brilliant job of making that work. I, I commend Brian Dable, one of the reasons he's my coach of the year. But because you have subpar receivers and guys that you wouldn't want to have as your one and two, you have to attack them. You can't let them come to you. You have to take it to them. And if you you get Duke Shelley and Patrick Peterson, who are good in press coverage, let them hit these guys at the line of scrimmage. They have the ability and talent to bail out after, after a bump and run. Let them do that. And that's going to knock them off their game. It's going to make things a little slower for Daniel Jones because that time is going to be disrupted. And all, all of that can factor in because Darius Smith is now healthy. He was dealing with the knee thing for the past like eight weeks. He is now 100%. And then Daniel Hunter who has been on a tear. He got a sack against Daniel Jones, I think the second or third play of the game on Christmas Eve. He is he is back to what his old form was. You have those two guys being able to get after the passer. Former giant Dalvin Tomlinson has been great as well. You have, you have to be able to press these guys. And the second thing is you have to be able to stop the interior of that Jets defense. Uh, six total tackles behind the line of scrimmage, four of them sacks in the first meeting. You have to stop Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. If you can do that, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable with what you have on the outside against uh, Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari. But it's that interior that can really destroy and disrupt because of what Kirk Cousins is. He's not the most mobile guy. He's not going to be able to run around and quote-unquote scramble to be able to uh, try and extend plays. He can do a little bit of it. It is far from his forte. And the easiest thing to do is just to get pressure up the middle. You slow down Lawrence and Williams and the game becomes much, much more winnable. Right, and before we get into X-Factors, kind of like we did the last time, I need to get your thoughts on this because we are in playoff time and uh, something's changed this year. What are your thoughts on the overtime rule about you know both teams get possession? <clears throat> I love it. Um, I, I don't know how much you're aware, but the field goal rule was put in because of Bounty Gate in 2009. And everybody feeling like the Vikings got screwed uh, when the saints walked off with a field goal in overtime because of how that game played out. So the next season they instituted that field goal rule and then they added on to it because they felt the bills should have been able to respond in last year's NFC divisional round because of how incredible that game was. I think it's great. I think in overtime, both teams should have a chance to answer and have that one possession. Plus it's, it's the playoffs. Look, if you want to do regular sudden death in the regular season, I don't care. It's the regular season. But this is the playoffs. Both teams should have an opportunity. And if you are in a tie situation going into overtime, it shouldn't just be, oh, I kicked a field goal like two minutes in, and then that's the game. It should be a little bit more than that. So I like it. I think it's going to be really good for the sport. And last year we had arguably the best playoffs in NFL history. So that's only going to help extrapolate on top of that. And if that ends up happening in this game, I, I'll i be honest, I think it's going to go in the Giants' favor because one thing the Vikings have been able to do is really that they've been able to win early in overtime or they've been able to win at the end of regulation. The longer the game goes, I fear that uh, some of that luck is going to start to wear out for the Vikings. Going into X-Factors, 
as I mentioned, two X factors for the Vikings on Sunday, one on offense and one on defense. Starting right tackle is going to be the X factor on offense. They have to play well. And if it's Blake Randall, who, who is coming off a torn MCL, they activated his practice window on Wednesday, but they expect him to suit up. And we'll find out if they activate him from injured reserve here later this afternoon. But if he is the guy, he has played well in his relief appearances, but albeit that was on the right side. Brando's the guy you can beat with speed. You're not going to beat him with technique. And if he gets his hands on you in good position, you're done. But speed is going to be the easiest way to take advantage of him. And if you start getting around the edge, then that opens up counter moves. If he's able to play competent football and not get destroyed, that's going to be a massive win for the Minnesota Vikings and something that they absolutely desperately need. And for the Vikings, I'm going to make it to Neil Hunter. Um, we know Evan Neal suffered that ankle injury on pra- in practice on Thursday. Um, he is expected to play. But one thing with Evan Neal, he has all the talent in the world, and I think he's going to be a really, really good tackle down the line. You can beat him. And you you can beat him with power because he's he's had balance issues all stemming all the way from Alabama, and you can beat him with counter moves. And that is Daniil Hunter's specialty, either the speed to power or beating you with an inside counter move. And if Hunter can get a couple sacks, I think that can really change change the outcome of this game. Um, but you also have Daniel Jones, who's really, really elusive. For being a, such a large individual, I'm I'm always impressed with how elusive Daniel Jones is at the, in the pocket and getting away from the pass rush and making something happen, either with his legs or with his arm down the field. Hunter needs to be, able, be a little more careful when he's brushing the passer. They need to pretend like it's Aaron Rodgers. And what I mean by that, Whenever they rush Aaron Rodgers, they always rush with contain in mind. They're always trying to force him down and not force him out. And I think they need to do the same thing with Daniel Jones. Funnel him to the inside, let Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson eat him up and prevent him from getting outside and making plays. Yeah, definitely. Um, With the Evan Neal thing, I, I agree with you. The thing with Evan Neal, besides the injury, is he's not taking his third step in his aggressive pass sets, which allows rushes to get by him much easier. But uh, game planning-wise, if you're a Vikings coach or whatever, or you're a fan, two X factors for the Giants you're game planning against on Sunday. Saquon Barkley, you got to get him involved. 14 carries for 84 yards, and he had that 22-yard touchdown that ended up tying the game in in the fourth quarter. You have to get him involved. You have to get him involved early and often. And you have to not be afraid to get him involved in the passing game. Get him in the slot. Let him have some fun. Run some option and choice routes. Just get him the football. He is your best player on offense. Utilize that. Don't don't get away from it. Because if you have a guy like Saquon Barkley, you have to feature him. You have to find a way to get him the football. It doesn't have to be a traditional running game. Get him the ball in space. Let him work. And I think that's one thing that they could have done a lot more on Christmas Eve. And they, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it just had to do with game flow and game script. They didn't do that. I think they need to establish him early and often in this game and just let him do things with the football and be the special player he is. On defense, I'm going to give it to Dory Jackson. He may not be traveling 1v1 against Justin Jefferson. He's going to draw a lot of those matchups. And you said he's not Jair Alexander. But Odori Jackson makes an average of $13 million a year. He's a good cornerback. He he doesn't have to be great against Jefferson. Be good enough. And something we talk about with offensive line, 
lose slowly. Make Jefferson beat you on five-yard routes. Don't let him get over the top. Make him beat you underneath. Death by paper cuts. If If Adore Jackson can do that, you are looking at a path to success for the Giants' defense. Yeah, definitely. And one thing, obviously, last time you mentioned that they could have taken advantage of the Giants with more screens. Something that intrigued me the last time uh, against the Vikings, also against the Commanders as well, is that uh, you know they had those little short routes coming out of the backfield for Barkley. Do we see that more? Do we see that less this game is going to be interesting? But, uh, Tyler, where can people find you in your work? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at The Real Forno. Um, college football season is done, but I am uh, the – against the spread expert for a website called fantasy points. Um, if you want to go check out, there's a couple of my ATS articles that are free and then it's a, uh, it's 50 bucks a year. Um, it, it helps us out a lot if you check it out. So I would greatly appreciate that. Along with that, I'm the managing editor of the Vikings wire for USA today. Um, we j- released a ton of preview content, including speaking with Dan Benton, who is the managing editor of giants wire, trying to get a better sense of who the giants are and, how the Vikings can exploit certain weaknesses and how they're going to try to exploit us. Um, We've got some bold predictions. We've got uh, uh, quick game preview and score previews. We've got all the latest Vikings news, including injury reports. Um, We don't, we don't just do news aggregation. We do a lot of free form thought too. We've got a really good article from our newest writer, Kevin Fiedler, breaking down the Vikings running back position and what traits are needed to succeed. We're also in draft mode as well, just because, it's January. You got to kind of get a head start on it. So we're kind of a one-stop shop for everything Vikings. And then if you love the NFL draft, we got that too. Yeah, definitely. So once again, I thank Tyler for coming on and uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday between the Giants and the Vikings. One team will move on and uh, one team will go home, but like comment, subscribe to all the good stuff. Appreciate y'all coming out. Check out the hype video that's coming out later today and uh, we'll see you next time. We'll